I'm going to tell you something that I contemplated with so many times. I have enough money to get a private investigator to search throughout the world to see what happened to her. Should I do it? Good morning. This message is for Brandy Foy. I am calling from the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. You can look at me when I was five years old to where I'm at now. That's an outside shot. You stopped asking where your mom was? No one's saying that she's alive or she has passed. Like, no one's saying anything. And it seemed no one was really trying to do anything to figure out what happened. After a while, you're just like, man, she must really didn't love us. Like, did we do something? What did the doctor tell you? The first thing he said to me was, tell me a story about your mother. And I was like, why? My wife said, your face was like you just saw a ghost. And I was saying, yeah, I did just see a ghost. This 26 years. So you're telling me now, you, there's no way. And then the 19th comes. September 19th, which is a Monday. Yeah. What happens? They drew a line in the sand. Now here you stand outside that line with goals in mind. Dreams and destinies you will put here to find. Manifest. They say you the worst when you know you're the best. So you invest. Put in that work even when it hurts. Their can'ts and their doubts turn into our will and our must. You put trust in your faith and your gut. The instincts you naturally feel against all lies. You tighten up even the playing field. Brick by brick you build like a city. There's something in me and you that just won't let you stop. You know what's going in, even though they say you are an outside shot. My name is Randell Corey Foy, but most of you may know me as Randy. I was born September 24th, 1983 in North New Jersey, and I had an unbelievable support system. They helped raise me and helped me become the man that I am today. You may know me from being the Big East Player of the Year at Villanova University. Graduated, got my degree there and drafted in the first round by the Minnesota Timberwolves. 11-year career, and now I'm with the Brooklyn Nets. I've seen it all, I've been through it all, and wife, three daughters later, there's another side to me. There's a side that a lot of people don't see, and for once in my life, I wanna let people win. So in this premiere episode, I felt as though it would only be right. We're asking all these people to open up and tell their stories. Why don't I just share my story? You know, anyone that knows me, you're going to be shocked at what I have to tell you. This episode is going to be about my mom, Regina Foy. So now let me turn it over to Noah. I appreciate that, Randy. I'm excited to do this together. These stories from people that are the underdogs, it's going to have a significant impact. So I think it makes sense if we go back to growing up in Newark, New Jersey. I know that when you're still a little boy, around three years old, your father gets into a, a motorcycle accident, passes away. And at that point, your mom, Regina Foy, she's dealing with her own struggles. So talk to me about your mom. What memories do you have of her? And when did she stop physically being a part of your life? The clearest memory I have of my mom is my kindergarten graduation. I'm about to be six. I remember she had a flower dress on. And I just remember her standing. We were up there on the stage, and I remember looking to my left, and she was right there. She was pretty tall, so I looked to my left, and I just kept looking to my left, smiling. That's like the clearest, most vivid memory I have of my mom's. Do you then go and have a celebration in your family, and your mom's not there? That's something I do not remember. It just seemed like after that point, everything kind of goes black, it fades. Like I don't remember nothing after that. No more memories after that. I remember going to the movie theaters 
I remember doing a lot of fun things that kids do with their their parents or in my situation, my mom. But after my kindergarten graduation, I have no memories of anything with my moms. At what point then, or do you say to someone, say to your grandmother, say to your aunt, say to anybody, hey, where's my mom? Within a week, because I live with my grandmother, but my mom's was always there. She would come in and out. She was always there. So I think within a week, I was like, hey, you know, where is she? And then it seemed like the question, when I think about it now, the question was being avoided to like, we're trying to figure that out right now. So hold on, buddy. <laughs> she did some things on the street, drug related. And that's the life she lived at the time. And that's something that I'm not proud of. But in those areas during that time, that's pretty much what people had to do to survive. Around that time that you're now six, your mom is only, she's not even probably 21 yet. She's only 20 because she had me when she was 14. So she's only 20 years old. So technically, she's still a baby herself. And so at some point, do they stop ignoring the question you're asking and someone tells you, we think your mom is where? I think I, I can see as a child that that question was annoying them. And anno it, was anno it was bothering it them? Was, it was bothering them that I was, a, I was aware of what was going on. So I think I just stopped asking. I stopped asking until I was like eight. You, you stopped asking where your mom was? I stopped asking because I, 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 got, I got all of the answers from vacation to she'll be back to she went to the store to, oh, she just was here. You just missed her or something like that. Like just to, for me to stop asking that question. It, it's almost important that people like understand that Google did not exist then. You couldn't have... You know, yeah, seven year olds, eight year olds, they can go online and maybe do a search yeah. now. Like you, you didn't have those things. I could have, I could have typed in Regina Diane Foy and probably tagged it and found a picture somewhere. Not then. Not now. I could, but back then, I couldn't do that. As any kid, you're going through moments in your life, and whether it is going to a friend's house and you see their mom, or something in school. But it, it wasn't even that. It was more of, all right, no one's saying that she's alive or she's still here or that she has passed. No one's saying anything. That was the frustrating part. Like, no one's saying anything. And it seemed to me that no one was really trying to do anything to figure out what happened. So that was the frustrating part. So a lot of my little act-out moments was because of that, to get attention so they can raise that question. Why is he acting out? And then oh, probably because his mom is not here, to raise that question. And that's the only way to get people to answer that question was for me to act out. At age eight, was there a reason that you started acting out? Or did something happen that you can recall? Or was it just randomly that you started to kind of bring it up again? I think that at that age, I really started putting two and two together. Like, something bad happened. Third grade or so. Something must have happened where she's never coming back. Or... She probably, I know I watched the movie or something and I seen people lose their mind. She must have lost her mind and I'm gonna have to find her, but she's not coming back. Tell you the truth, I thought that she probably lost her mind and she just was out there and she'll end up wandering back to where we were at or someone would see her and be like, oh, like what's wrong with you? You need to be home with your kids or something like that. That's what I thought, but after a while, you just like, man, she must really didn't love us. Like we're. Like, 
what's going on? Like, me and my brother, like, did we do something? And when you look back on it, that's when I start, that's when I said, start putting two and two together. It started becoming very, very clear she wasn't coming back and that something bad had happened. And my grandmother, Betty Foy, she was, um, she kind of told me a story that was like, I think harsh at the time, but kind of made sense. Like, you know, your mom's just, you know, kidnapped and killed. You know, she's not coming back. She's with God now. She's in a better place. And I just was like, wow. And that, that was the story that was told. And that was the, the story that in my interviews that I have given, it was, that was the story that I basically put out there. Your grandmother says that to you about your mom. Yeah. Who you've been wanting to get this answer. You clearly knew that people were ignoring and then being annoyed by the question. You get the answer. Do you just say, okay, I guess I'll I'm never in, see her again? Like what, what? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in shock, but I'm like kind of playing it off. But my grandmother, I understood where she was coming from because she was so real. Like she would always say like things that, that would come out in a wrong way her tone and the way she basically tried to put it into a sentence, the way it came out, it was, it was most of the time it was the wrong way, but it was so real that you had to respect it. As you're growing up, how is your mom part of your life as a kid? Do people bring her up? Do you have pictures or is she not? Only time it really came up is doing practices, like when parents are dropping kids off graduations or like tell your moms and dad to come to the game on um this is a pretty big game tell your moms and dad to come to the game like that's the only time it come up like i would have a game and it would be like a game where all the parents are at and no one would be there for me and it's like how could your parents not be here and you're the best player on it like they didn't get it they didn't understand i would have to say hey my moms and dad they both died and they would tell I would be annoyed by it, so they just want to ask the question no more. Is that all bottling up in you at that time? Like, are you going home and talking to anybody? Or it, no? it is. I'm not talking to no one. Like, it's all there. But just where I'm from, like, to put shit like that happens every single day where someone is murdered or, like, things like that happen. So you kind of get accustomed to it. Or you're like, all right, she was a statistic. Like, it happens. Like, I've seen families go through it. And it's like, it hurt, it hurts you, but at the end of the day, you're like, this is the city I live in, and this is what could happen. You've spoken about how one of the, the characteristics that you had growing up was not to look at what other people have and think that you don't have that, that you were able to understand what you did have and make the most of it. With this situation, and you see other kids with their mom, was it a little different? I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow myself to be sad or have any type of a emotion where I feel as though I was feeling sorry for myself. I wouldn't allow it. Like if I felt it coming on, I would say to myself, like I always say now, and I should say, tighten up. Like you toughen in that. You know, you know what happened, it's the past. Tighten up, you know, go out there and do what you do. Or if you see that happen, if you see like kids with their moms and dad after the game, you just say hello and you just keep it moving. I'm used to this now. So don't make a scene for everyone else. You know what it is. I would say that to myself, walking. Like those are the conversations I would have with myself. Your success on the basketball court 
increases, mm -hmm. which with that comes interview requests, media attention. And I, I'll take it back to my senior graduation at Eastside High School my senior year. I knew what that moment was about to be like because the next day I had to go to Villanova University. So everyone was taking pictures. And it was a lot of kids there just with moms, single parents. But I was the only one there that didn't have parents. I had like other people there that supported me, a lot of friends. But I knew what that moment was going to be like. And I knew where I was going the next day. Like I was heading to the real world the next day. I was going to attend Villanova University, start my first session of summer school, and start working out with men on a basketball team, Villanova basketball team. So that moment at that time, I was like, I wish I could like hug my moms or I wish I could do something because I'm about to leave. I'm about to leave Newark. Like all of this stuff happened to me in this city, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now I'm getting ready to take my talents to the main line at Villanova University. So I wish I had somebody that I could really say goodbye to. And I say goodbye to my aunt, my aunt Ruth, but I needed someone to be like, you know, I'm going to take you there and I'm going to be there. I'm young enough to be there and I'm young enough to be on you. Like, I, I, I wanted that at the time, but I didn't have it. Did you allow yourself to be emotional in that moment? Because you're describing something that... For a hot second, when I was sitting there, I could remember, you know, you walk in and everybody like, look back, or the parents are screaming. I can remember, like, man, orange. People were screaming my name just because I played basketball. <laughs> but I was like, all right, cool. But I allowed myself, because you get a hot second to think about it. So in, in that time, in those, like, I say 20 seconds, I allowed myself to think about it. Over the years, have you come to the understanding that it would have been okay if you'd taken longer yeah, than a hot second? Yeah, I, I, was, I was a tough guy when it came in that situation. Like, I was like, I'm not being vulnerable. Showing emotion wouldn't I was have been in, tough. You, yeah, you, but you I would have showed it alone, but I was like, I'm not being vulnerable and feeling sad for myself. But then as I got older, it was like, sometimes it's cool, like, to vent. You know, you could do it in front of your friends. You could do it in front of people you love. But it's cool sometimes because it make you feel better. And so that's something that I learned as I got older. But when I was younger, I just was a little punk, trying to be the, the tough guy and not allowing it to affect me when sometimes it definitely did. And you know how I used to make myself feel better? How? I was like, man, I'm so lucky that I lost my moms when I was five, six, and most people losing their mom when they're like 17 to 20, they experience so many things with their moms and they have so many memories, that's why they're so sad. But like, I have memories, but it's not that many memories. So that's how I used to protect myself within myself. I used to always say that. Clearly you've pushed that away because yeah. your life today does not show that attitude. And to tell you the truth, when I start to understand that it was all right to you know, be a little emotional, was the night of my wedding. That was the first time that I like cried and, like in front of like a group of people. Well, I cried when we probably lost on TV, but that was like, you, people knew why I was crying. During that moment, it was a cry where I had to sit down for like 10 minutes. Like, were you giving like, a toast or were you just, just there? No, I was, um, it was me and, me and my wife were having our dance and then it just was like, everything started to flash in front of me. Like from, wow, like we have all of this, all these people are here. So all that stuff started to flash in front of me. And then she started, she was already crying. Then I looked at her, then I just lost it. 
And that's the first time that she was like, what's wrong with you? And I said to her, I think I said it to her, I was like, I wish my mom was just here to see this. Like, that was the first time I said that. And it was like, wow. Then she started crying. Then we, we had two daughters at the time. Then we, we picked up our daughters. Then I looked back, and then two of my friends that were in the wedding party were crying. Like, guys. Like, guys were on the main floor. Then all of the girls were crying. And it just was like, my boys, who were, like, they knew what I was crying for. And it was like, that was the first time I was like, it's all right to show emotion because they know what I feel. We all bottle these things up, and if we just actually then share them, we realize we all connect. I mean, that's what happens. But I wonder, at that point then, moving forward, do you start to then look back and try to bring back to your memory the moments you did have with your mom, or do you just move forward and accept that's the end of it? I'm going to tell you something that I contemplated with so many times. It's like I have, I have enough money to get a private investigator to search throughout New Jersey or throughout the world to see what happened to her. Should I do it? Like, if this lady is alive, like, am I going to be able to accept apologies from her if she's alive? Like, just the way I am and the way I have always been, it's just, it's just hard for me to accept, like, leaving a kid or two kids. So I'm like, nah, let me just, that's an open sore. Let me just leave it. Let me leave that cut open, just put a Band-Aid over it, but it's still bleeding. Let me just put a little Band-Aid over this massive wound. Are you discussing that with, with your wife? With myself. Never letting anyone know. Never. The part that's get tricky is when you have kids and then they have a grandmother and a grandfather on their mom's side, but then they ask you, and then you got to explain, and then they don't understand. And then you got to keep on explaining. Then it takes me back to when I was younger and I was asking those questions. So it's like, oh, this is what they were going through. So now you kind of understand. But you try to explain it in a way where you just like, well, she's not here with us anymore. And, you know, she's with God now. And usually when you say that, they're like, oh, okay. And in that moment, I said to myself, I just experienced something that my grandmother probably was experiencing with me 25 years ago. So even though the question, I might have been having a great day and the question probably annoyed me or knocked me off track for a moment, you know, I had to deal with it at that time because it's your kids asking you that question. And they didn't know the answer. It wasn't yeah. like they were asking because they wanted to just make daddy emotional. And I, and I still really couldn't tell them the answer. During those moments, does that make you even more attentive to the times that you are with your kids? Yeah. Memories. We always try to create memories. So a lot of times when we go on vacation, if it's just me and my wife, let's bring the kids. Like every vacation, we try to do it. From driving an RV from New Jersey to Toronto and camping at Niagara Falls and then getting on the ferry there. Just It's all about creating memories because memories are important to me now. And even pictures. Pictures are extremely important. So you're in the league, and, and anybody that's a Google search of Randy Foy, it's part of the story. Randy around kindergarten, last time he saw his mom, they thought she was either kidnapped, assumed she was passed away, dead Murder, somewhere. Yeah. We don't know. And everything seems to be that's the story. Now, September 2nd of 2016, tell me what happened. 
So on that day, I'm at Fairview Elementary School and I'm at orientation for my oldest daughter and my middle daughter. We're walking through a school with a bunch of kindergartners and third graders. We're on a tour. And so I have my phone off and I look at my phone to look at the time and I see a missed call from my agent. I see like five missed calls from a six four six number and then I see another four missed calls missed from a, a three four seven number. And so I'm looking, I'm like, all right, what's going on here? So I call my agent first and I say, Hey, what's going on? He said, Hey, um, this lady called me and then this guy called me and they said they need to talk to you. It's extremely urgent. I said, so what they want? He said, they wouldn't tell me. He said, is everything okay? I was like, well, I hope. <laughs> and he was like, all right, call me back and tell me what happened. I was like, all right, cool. I'm gonna call you right back. So I said, what number should I call first? And I was like, all right, let me call the number that called me the least amount of time, which was the 347 number. So I called back the 347 number and a guy picks up, a doctor by the name of Jason Graham, who is the deputy chief medical examiner of the city of New York. And the first thing he said to me is, how you doing, Randy? We have some extremely important, and it kind of went out where we were at in the school, like the signal. So as it went out, the 646 number, it left me a voicemail. Good morning. This message is for Mr. Foy, Randy Foy. I am calling from the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene in New York City. I am calling you regarding an important matter. Can you please return my call at your earliest convenience? Thank you very much. And I'm like, all right, so now I'm scared because the only place that I, you know, could remember doing something in New York State besides signing a contract was a stress test. And that was like three weeks before. And I remember the doctor joking around said, if something's wrong, you know, it'll be an urgent call. But he's like, you should be good, though. So the first thing I'm like thinking about my heart. I have situs inverses, which means my organs are reversed and they're on the opposite side of everyone else. But it's never been an issue for me. Never. So everything is going through my head that this is going to be the year that something is wrong with my heart. That stress test is when you sign with a new team. They make yeah, so when you sign with a new team, you go through like thorough physical. And so that's one of the tests, the stress test. They put your heart through stress that the normal human being wouldn't be able to deal with because of the stress that you go through during the game. So I'm like, all right, prepare myself to deal with it. Then I call Dr. Graham back. The first thing he said to me was, tell me a story about your mother. And I was like, why? He said, there's a possible connection to the fingerprints of a Jane Doe case. He told me that after reading about my story, they decided to run the prints, and it came up as a potential match to a woman who was in the system. And then he said, I can be 99% wrong, or I can be 1% right, that this unidentified Jane Doe could be the lady you have described as your mother. So I'm like, all right, someone's, someone's playing around, trying to open up this massive wound that I patched up with a small Band-Aid. So I'm like, all right. So we continue to talk. And he just explained to me everything that's going on, everything that um, happened, and just, and he's describing it. And I'm, like, in shock. Like, literally, I'm in shock. Like, I think the first question after he finished talking for me was, is she alive? Is she alive? And then the first thing he said, no, 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 no. She's been 
deceased since 1989. So that brought me back to my mom's didn't leave me. My mom's was always there. He was like, she was in Brooklyn, cardiac arrest, which was like, wow. Like, I just signed with Brooklyn. You know, I could have went other places, but I signed. This is where I just signed because it felt right. And he's just breaking it down where it's like, it just made sense. And then I go back to like, everything happens for a reason. So he asked me for my email so he could send my DNA kit. He asked me, who can I get in touch with? So I was just like, you know, I know my aunt have kids that has her DNA and me. He was like, two people would be good enough, but if you get the kids to do it, that would be awesome. Was there a reason that they re-looked at her case to think I about you? I think I did you? a story in um, one of the New York papers probably a week before that. And so as I did the story, just said that if he didn't try or if he didn't reach out and he came to find out like after that that it was that he would have been upset with himself. Oh, in his office, they always probably thought about, oh, we have this woman from Brooklyn, cardiac arrest, around 89, 90. If my story wouldn't have came up from signing in Brooklyn, they doing a profile piece on me, he wouldn't have known if he didn't cross paths with the story. And so he just basically said to me, I need to send you a DNA kit. And he was like, you know, don't get your hopes up. Don't really tell too many people because, like I said, this could be a different person. But she's a Jane Doe. She's unidentified, and we need you to take the test just to see if your DNA matches up. So I was like, all right. So he sent me the email, sent them my address. Within, like, the next day, the DNA kits were at my front door. So now I got to go to Newark and show my aunt exactly what I did, and that was tough because I got to tell her what's going on now. And then my two kids. I want to just take one step back because... When you hang up that phone, mm -hmm. what are you thinking? When I hung up that phone with him, like, I'm still doing orientation with kids. I'm walking around the school, taking a tour to their new school. And as I hung up the phone, my wife said, after I told her what happened, she's like, I never seen you. Like, you couldn't talk. But I thought I was talking fine. But she was like, your, your face was like you were in shock. Like, you just saw a ghost. I was saying, yeah, I did just, you know, I did just see a ghost. And so we go home and my trainer's here. And I can remember working out, but I don't remember working out. I was working, I was doing like conditioning on, and I, I don't even think I got tired that day running. I just was in my own little zone. So after we finished working out, you know, I tell people or whatever, just my close people, and they're just like, wow. But I'm like, it's, it's not. I was like, there's no way. I'm just saying, there's no way. Like, this this 26 years. So you're telling me now, you, there's no way. And I get the DNA kit. I do the, the swab test on the inside of my cheek. Then I send them back. And and what do they tell They just say, hey, we'll get back to you either way? or Yeah, either way, we're going to get back. Dr. Graham was unbelievable, extremely professional understand what the the family member is going through so he's always conscious of how he delivers the news which is important and you could tell like he really cared about the situation so i get the dna kit i do the test i take it to my aunt she does the test i was gonna take it to my grandfather but he was in the hospital so he couldn't do the test so i did it with my daughters and then it goes back to them asking questions again why are we doing this i thought you said 
Grandma Regina was already in heaven. Then you got to explain, like, well, she was, but this happened, but we didn't, we weren't sure if that was her. And you're retracting your words, you know, when you're talking to the kids. So, did you think about telling them another story of why they were doing this test? No, because they're smart enough. And it's like the boxes are there. You got to put the gloves on, you got to pull a cheek, you got to do it 20 times on one side, drop it in, boom, doing it on the other side. So, they want to know exactly why we're doing this. And then, so we basically explain to them what happened in full detail right there. Just from a, what else is going on, you're like, you're almost a week from your new training. team. Yeah. Training. I'm training every single day. Are you able to focus? Yeah, I'm still able to focus then because just them first two days when I got the call, I was a little out of it. But then after that, I kind of locked back in. And then the 19th comes. September 19th, which is a Monday. Yeah. What happens? I wake up and I'm supposed to go in for workouts. I wake up like 4.30. And I use like for workouts, I usually wake up like, nine to get to where I need to get to by 10 and I just wake up and I'm like I feel funny today I'm like man something don't feel right I was like I'm gonna text our workout guy in Brooklyn and I'm just gonna tell him I'm not feeling it today I just told him I had something to do and I just feel weird so we were doing something and I was like getting a bottle of wine. I was like in a wine place and I was getting a bottle of wine and I looked at my phone and it was Dr. Graham. I said, oh man, here we go. He's like, are you sitting down? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm like, actually I'm walking, but I was like, I'm fine. I'm, I'm kind of numb to it right now. He's like, Randy, it's a match. It's your mother. And I was like, wow. And then I was like, I was like, not really saying nothing. He's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm okay. He was like, please make sure you're okay because in these situations, people usually faint, fall out, hit their head on something. Like, make sure you're okay like that. And I was like, I'm all right. And then he was like, the body has been dug up. And I was like, all right. And he's like, yeah, you could, you could bring your mom's home like that. And I was like, wow. So my first thing was like, all right, how do I bring her home now? Like, what do I do? And then all these thoughts went through my head. Like, should I bury her again? Like, she was already buried for 26 years. She wasn't with me for 26 years. Like, should I bury her? Like, what should I do? And then I was like, if I cremate her, then she could be with me all the time. So the 26 years that we lost, we can make that up with her being right here. Like, I look at this as a good thing. It gives me closure. And a lot of the things that I thought, I was completely wrong. So I'm just like, I'm just happy. Like, I'm happy now. A lot of people in my family were sad, but I'm happy that, you know, I'm able to bring my moms back home, for one. And two, just having that closure, understanding that, you know, yeah, she's not here with me, but she's definitely here with me. And I'm gonna make sure, you know, as much as I can, you know, I'm going to be able to talk to my moms and my kids going to be able to say, you know, my grandmother's here. You reference being wrong. I assume that has to do with eight-year-old acting out. Why did she leave us? Mm-hmm. What did the doctor tell you? She didn't leave. She died of a, a drug overdose. So she didn't leave. She was into the street life. Like when I give these little, you know, pep talks to school, I always tell them that, 
if you're playing a dangerous game in the streets and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, there's only two things that's going to come out of it. That's either you're going to be dead or you're going to be in jail. And that's the, the game and life that she played. And those are the consequences that come with it. But at the end of the day, like, that's my mom's. And I understand that she was doing that to help her family survive. Anything that a parent need to do to make sure their kids, you're going to have food on the table, they're going to do it. And so that's what she was doing at the time. As a parent, how did you and your wife then go and tell your daughters? So my, my oldest daughter said, um, so yeah, so that's Grandma Regina. She's buried and you're going to bring her back and then you're going to cremate her and she's going to be with us. But when when the body comes back, right, it's just going to be like bones. And I just was like, come on, man. You ask me. <laughs> Stop asking me these questions. Man. I was like, yeah, something like that. I was like just trying to explain to her, like, yeah, the body start um, to decompose probably after like two or three days. And I just was explaining to her, like, so probably like within like three months in the ground, it was it was in nothing there but bones. So imagine 26 years. I was like, yeah, you're right. But I was like, they're her bones, so we're good. On September 28th, 2016, what happened? On September 28th, 2016, my mom's was finally laid to rest. We cremated her and the ashes is here at my house. I mean, it was an extremely emotional um, ceremony. I'm tough, and I think I said this during my speech, but I think I, I couldn't talk at least two times. When I was talking about my mom's and when I was talking about my Aunt Ruth, because those two people play a major role in my life. And just talking about it that day, you know, I broke down twice, but, you know, my, my wife was there my friends were standing behind me once they saw, you know, I was struggling a little bit. But once they came behind me, the support system that always had been there, I felt as though this is what needed to be said. Because I, I held it back a couple times that day. You know, I was kind of weird in practice. And it felt like I had to, I had an unbelievable practice. But I just felt weird. And for me to put my moms to rest and I'll have her with me for the rest of my life, Man, that's an that's an amazing feeling. And for my kids and her grandkids to say my grandmother is there. And even for my brother and his kids, because my brother's incarcerated right now. So when he bring his kids here to see it and pray and talk to his moms, I just think it's amazing that your moms could be gone for so long. But everything comes back full circle because now she's here with us, which brings so much joy and happiness to my heart. We all hear the word coincidence, but the reality is a lot of coincidences in this case. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Coincidence. My mother died in Brooklyn. I signed with Brooklyn. I do a profile story with Brooklyn. I was like, man, these feel-good stories are not doing it for the public no more. Well, if it wasn't for this feel-good story, me and my mom's probably never connected until, you know, I died and went to heaven. So these feel-good stories, we need them. We can't push them to the side and say, you know, well, people just want to hear negative things and we feed off negative energy. That's not everyone. Some people do, but people like to hear feel-good stories. So if it wasn't for this feel-good story being written in multiple papers, shown on multiple networks since I was 15 years old, 
then I would have never reconnected with my mother while I was alive and she was deceased. So that just would have been part of my life that I just would have been like, hey, I'm just going to have to say it is what it is. So coincidence, like I said, signing in Brooklyn, my mom's dying in Brooklyn, profile story by New York City paper led an unbelievable human being in Dr. Graham to taking a chance and saying, let me reach out to this kid to see if this is his mother. Because from the looks of it, he needs closure. And I could be completely wrong, and I could be irritating to him, and he could be upset with me, but I'm going to be upset with myself if I don't take this chance. So, like you said, coincidence, and this is all about me being home in New Jersey and allowing things to come full circle just with my life, and it's not done yet. Thanks. Thanks for sharing it mm. the way you did. I think also it's another example. People are told they got no chance. They're an underdog. They got no shot. There's a shot. Yeah. It's possible. It's definitely possible. I thought it I thought it wasn't. Like I lost hope. But for from a feel good story, like someone reached out to me and they reached out in a way where it would take months and months and months to make, you know, these transfers from state to state happen. You know, the people who reached out to me are making sure my mom's is taken care of. So it all comes from a feel good story. I'm happy that you and your family have it. So, thanks, Ren. Ah, thank you. They drew a line in the sand. Now here you stand outside that line with goals in mind. Dreams and destinies you will put here to find. Manifest. They say you the worst when you know you're the best. So you invest. Put in that work, even when it hurts. Their can'ts and their doubts turn into our will and our must. You put trust in your faith and your gut. The instincts you naturally feel against all lies. You tighten up even the playing field. Brick by brick, you build like a city. There's something in me, in you, that just won't let you stop. You know what's going in, even though they say you are an outside shot.